Good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church, Jefferson City, our online worship experience. We're glad you're with us today. This is the season of Eastertide. Easter is not just a day. The resurrection of Christ, of course, is celebrated every Lord's Day in the Christian church, but particularly during this season between now and Pentecost Sunday, we are focusing on the season of Easter as we unpack what it means that Jesus our Lord was raised from the dead. We hope that today you will have a rich and a helpful worship experience. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, thank you for the great love you have shown us in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to be together through your Holy Spirit's miraculous work. And we pray that the living Christ will move among us and have his way in each of our hearts and transform our lives and our world for Christ's sake. Amen. The text for this morning's message is Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 4 and reading through verse 14. The Apostle Paul writes, If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Those of you who know me very well know that I love books. I love to read. I love all kinds of literature. I love fiction, poetry, murder mystery. I love history. Of course, I love reading theology. I love all kinds of books, but my very favorite leisure reading is biography and autobiography. Somehow there's nothing more fascinating to me than how lives unfold and how life happens as the stories of people's existence on this earth uh, is, is unfolded before us. 
I love this passage of Scripture, Philippians 3, beginning in verse 4, because it's so autobiographical. It's so honest by the Apostle Paul, and it's so real. And in just a few short verses, we have more of his life story than almost any other passage of Scripture in all of the New Testament. In fact, as you read it carefully, you see that Paul is painfully honest. It isn't a pretty picture. He's very transparent about his own ego, about his own drive, about his own failures. Sometimes I like to read this scripture and hold it as a mirror up to my life to see what's going on in my heart as well as what was going on in Paul's. For example, we know that Paul was focused on outward appearances and he was very competitive. He begins this passage by saying, if anyone else has a reason to brag, I could brag more. I could talk about being an Israelite. I could talk about being circumcised on the appropriate day. He was very competitive. He liked coming in first. He liked winning. He liked having the last word. Do you know anybody like that? Furthermore, he talks about uh, how focused he was on achieving and on performance. He liked to dot every I and cross every T. He says, I was circumcised on the correct day. I was uh, a Pharisee keeping all of the laws. He found his value, his sense of self-worth in his performance, in his human efforts. He was focused on the externals and in a prideful way, he was so focused on the externals that inside in his life, in his heart, there was anger and there was violence because he goes on to say, I was a persecutor of the church. He was a bully. He was prone to violence. He wanted everybody to see life his way. He wanted people to know that he was right and they were wrong. It was a picture that wasn't pretty, but this is who he was. He was full of self-love, self-promotion, and self-trust. So I'll repeat, do you know anyone like that? Full of self-love, self-trust, self-promotion. And the Apostle Paul, after he's brutally honest about his own journey, he then pivots and says, but when I met the risen Messiah, everything changed. And when Paul said everything changed, he meant everything. When I was a little boy, uh, I remember one summer, my mom decided that she was going to give me piano lessons. She wanted me to learn to play the piano. And I will just tell you uh, right at the beginning of this story that uh, my piano career was very, very brief. Uh, it didn't work out too well. It wasn't my thing. But I do remember something that mom taught me. She showed me where middle C was on the keyboard. And she said, you know, if you start out in the right place with the placement of your hands, then everything else will happen from there and the music and the chords will be pretty. 
But she said, if you start in the wrong place, then it's not going to work. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to sound right. I think that's what the Apostle Paul was trying to say about his own life. That until he met the risen Christ, he was starting in the wrong place. He, he began with the wrong assumptions. He began by asking the, right, the wrong questions. He began by uh, having the wrong goals, the wrong affections, the wrong loyalties. And once he met Christ, all of those things began to fall into place because the risen Christ began to work in his life in a powerful way. Years ago, there was a philosophy professor by the name of Peter Anthony Bertocci. And he wrote some powerful words to me about how our faith needs to be in touch with real life. He said, for our faith to be in touch with real life, two things have to happen. He said, first of all, we must continually critique our assumptions about what fulfillment means in our lives. What fulfills us? What makes us feel valid and, and significant? And he said the second thing is, for our faith to touch real life, we have to continually revise our emotional attachments, the things we are em emotionally attached to. Now think about the very fact that that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is describing for us. Because he said, all of those things that I used to value, the emotional attachments, are now considered waste. And I want nothing more than to know the living Christ. I regard everything else as loss, he says in verse 8. For the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You see how he's revised his emotional attachments and how he has, he has reviewed his assumptions about what brings him fulfillment and what makes life count and what makes him significant. To know Christ, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He sets out for us a very important distinction Having a theory about Christ is so much different than having a relationship with Christ. Which is it for you? Having a theory about who Jesus is, having a theory about who Christ is, or having a relationship with Christ. The Apostle Paul had moved from one to the other, and that's where life begins. And one of the faults, one of the problems that we have in the evangelical wing of the Christian church is that somehow we have communicated that knowing Christ is a one-off experience. That somehow knowing Christ is a one and done. As if to say, I walked the aisle once back in 1985. Or I raised my hand at youth camp when we had the bonfire service. But knowing Christ is not fire insurance, a one-time thing and then all we worry about is not going to hell. Knowing Christ is an ongoing relationship 
Knowing Christ is a day-by-day experience as the living Christ works in us and works through us and walks with us. I was converted to Christ when I was a small boy. I made my profession of faith when I was eight years old and I was baptized. The years went along and about the age of 14, I began to have some uh, dissonance in my heart. Uh, I began to feel uncomfortable because I began to realize that my walk with Christ had not kept up with all the other areas of my life. And so by the age of 15, I began to seek and to search, and this passage of Scripture, Philippians 3, suddenly came alive for me. I read it and reread it, and I began to realize something, that the living Christ was laying claim to my life, all of my life, every area of my life. He didn't just want my Sunday habit. He wanted my Sunday through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all through the week life. He wanted all of me. And when I began to realize that, things began to change in my life, and I began to know Christ more personally. This is the journey we're all on. And when the Apostle Paul talks in this scripture about how the risen Christ has transformed him, I want to pose it as a, as, a, as a model of the risen Christ leading Paul to many conversions. Now, don't get me wrong. There is one ultimate conversion to turn from sin to faith in Christ. But under that heading, there are many subheadings. Paul experienced many conversions. I want to share a few of them with you that we can glean even from this brief passage of Scripture. And I want you to measure your life and think about the risen Christ working conversions, plural, in your heart. For example, the Apostle Paul experienced a conversion from self-salvation to trust in Christ. He experienced a conversion from nationalism and ethnic pride. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews to the kingdom of God something bigger than nation or ethnicity, a conversion from selfishness to servanthood, from hate to forgiveness, a conversion from control and power and being in charge to one of suffering and weakness and vulnerability. Remember in verse 10, the Apostle Paul said that, I want to know Christ I want to share in his sufferings. Paul was no longer afraid of weakness. He was no longer afraid of being vulnerable. It was a conversion from self-agenda to God's agenda. And it was a conversion from competition to mutuality. Have you noticed that in the midst of this pandemic, that though there are many horrendous things about it, the death and the sadness and the fear, this this experience of remaining home and quieting our lives has served a purpose to help us remember that we don't have to always compete, that we don't always have to win, 
that we don't have to always be first, that we can breathe, we can listen, we can relax, we can rest, and we can live in mutuality rather than competition. And finally, Paul is converted from violence to love. All of those conversions going on in his life. Now, pause for a moment and reflect on these many conversions that the living Christ was working in Paul's life. Ask yourself, what conversion am I being called to this morning? Where is the pressure in my life? Where are the conflicts within my heart or within my relationships? What new conversion is the living Christ calling me to? In these few brief verses, we have seen Paul move from a manic, frantic search for significance to a position of absolutely being overwhelmed by the mighty love of Jesus Christ. He begins by this frantic search to feel important, to be first, and then by the time this passage of Scripture is over, he declares, I've been arrested by Christ. That's the language in verse 12. I've been apprehended by Christ. Christ's love absolutely enveloped me and finally said to me, Oh, Paul, give it up. Relax. Let me love you. Let me save you. Let me help you. This is the power of the living Christ to begin to invade every area of our lives if we allow him. My invitation to you this morning is to entrust the one life you have into the hands of the risen Messiah and to open yourself to some conversions as the transforma transformation of Christ begins to work in new ways and powerful ways. I'm going to be praying for you, and I know that God will bless you. Let's pray. Loving God, thank you for your word, always rich with application. May the living Christ stir in our hearts, do new things, and may we be open, may we be trusting, may we find you faithful. Through Christ we pray, amen. I want to thank you for joining us this morning. It's been a great morning of worship and celebration during Eastertide. We want to encourage your continued faithfulness in financial giving to our church. Remember, even though we're not meeting, the ministries of the church, of the church move on, and we need you, and we thank you for your part. I've been having important meetings with the financial leaders in our church. We're doing everything we can to trim expenses, and we know that God is going to bless, and God will use each of us to do our part. I also want to challenge you to download the worship guide that goes with this morning's worship and to find something practical to do today. Take a walk with family. Make a phone call. Spend some time uh, quietly in reflection. Somehow, make connection with yourself, with your God, and with people around you. God bless you. And have a great Sunday.